Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. Now I am fully aware that there are people out there and companies that make paint that is made for vinyl siding. But here's what the issue is. And there's a handful of them. By the time that you buy the paint, you're partially into the cost of replacing the vinyl siding. And two, when you paint vinyl siding, it's usually when it's warm, right? So it's nice outside. Well, vinyl siding expands and contracts, and whether there's a seam, there's an overlap there. When it's hot, it's expanded. When you go paint it in the wintertime, many times, when that shrinks up, you're going to see the color pop in around the trim or in the seams, because now it's exposing those areas. And many times when it's that cold, it's too cold to paint it. So you're kind of stuck with weird stripes in places. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House Show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. If you're just joining us, this is hour number two of our questions that have come in over the last few weeks that I wanted to make sure we addressed. And the next one is important. And I think a lot of it is that these questions have been coming in on this subject because of California and the desert Southwest and places that have been getting so much rain that haven't been. And that is, I want to talk about here, at least in this segment, this is not going to be a whole show on this. We've got a lot of different topics to touch on today. But water in the basement or crawl space has been a really big issue. And especially in a lot of areas where people haven't had this kind of rain in the time that they've lived there. And so what happens is, is many times, especially in older homes, maybe you've been in a house for five to seven years and you've been through a drought and all of a sudden that rain comes back with a vengeance and it's exposing problems that were there before, but you just didn't know they existed. And maybe even they were covered up by a previous homeowner or it just happened once and they thought they fixed it and it never got fixed. So I'll give you my experience with water in a basement or crawl space. There are multiple things that can happen here. First off, about 60% of the time in my experience in my climate, that water is coming from water from the roof, which means that your gutters going to your downspouts are draining right next to the foundation. Or they've got a little extension that goes out three or four feet. Whichever way, that needs to go out at least 10 feet or more and be downhill from the house. So if you have it high on one side and low on the other, I want to see it 10 feet away on the low side, not 10 feet away on the high side. Because if you're on the high side and you're dropping that water and it's 10 feet away, you will probably still get that water into that basement. Now, I've done a lot of testing and a lot of experience with this. I've worked with foundation contractors in the past where I was actually on their staff going around. So I have done a lot of this. That is one of the first things that I would say to tackle first if you're trying to get that. Now, second part is, is depending where the water is coming from. If you have a crack in the basement wall and it's coming through there, you probably can fill that. 
But here's the issue that you might need to remember. That could be the pressure relief valve for other cracks in that basement system. So if that's the easy path, no problem. But this is like a dam. That concrete or brock or brick is like a dam. So if you plug that up, it could rise up and go to another one. So it's something you really want to take a look at. Uh, how do you patch that? You can actually inject, inject urethane foam, and it is meant as a crack injection. So you basically patch the crack, inject it in there. That urethane, once it hits water like glue, it will actually foam up and seal that off. It works really well. Now, it's a bigger issue that if you've got water coming up in that dry joint between the basement floor and the wall, that concrete wall, that dry joint there, some people say, oh, just caulk it, put some sealer. No, you will not seal that. That hydrostatic pressure will pull everything off. It's just not going to work well. So what you need to do then, that is typically if you've got the gutters taken care of, most times what that is, is you now have an issue where you have a high water table and the only successful way that I've done that I've dealt with that is to, and it's expensive and or it's a lot of work, is to put a below-grade dewatering system in that basement. And so this is where I want you to consult a structural engineer. And let me back up why on that. You're like, I'm just moving water. What you're going to do is you're going to be cutting some of that concrete floor out, and you're going to be digging down and putting in, next to the footing, a French drain system that will drain into a low point, which is your sump pump that will pump that out. And again, put that water at least 10 feet away. Now, here's the thing. Why I want you to have a structural engineer is many basements, they, you know, you've got a lot of soil load on there. So you've got the basement walls out there that are poured or block or brick or whatever. Then to lock the bottom so they don't kick in, they pour a cement floor on the inside and that keeps the bottoms from pushing in. In some homes, I have seen problems where people go around the perimeter, they cut back the 15 inches of concrete. Now you have taken away that area that is locking that foundation in. And if you've got a weak foundation wall, what happens is, is that's where you have the problem. That bottom of the wall can kick out. And on a big foundation wall where it's one big pour on the outside and it's good concrete, it's pretty rare. But if you've got block, brick, stone... I'd like to have somebody at least take a look at it and tell you because there is a way for you to go in and do A-B sections where you just do one section, you pour it, go to the next section, pour it so you have support on that wall. So that's one way to do it. But really, that is the best way to do it. And sometimes you'll want to go across in a big basement. You'll want to go across the middle and catch the water there. So what that does is you're catching the water before it raises high enough to leak through there. It goes into the sump pump. And then it goes out. Now, that sump pump, if you lose power at all, I'd like to see a battery backup on that. So it has a battery backup system. That way, if you lose power, water is continuing to move. Now, one of the biggest problems I see is people kick it out and drop it three or four feet away from the foundation. I have seen people run up their power bill because they kick it right out. They kick the water right out of the foundation. And I've put dye in that water, and guess what? That water's back in in 10 minutes because it's created a path, and you've got a water fountain. 
So make sure that you've got that dialed in. So I want to see that go out, you know, towards the street or low away from the house. I want to see that water going at least 10 feet away. Same kind of thing there. Most areas, you cannot put it in the sewer. Check your local building code. Most places that happens. In some areas, um, they've designed it so it goes down into a line that goes down and drains out of the gutter into the street and the street catches the storm drain water that way. If that works, great. One of the problems I see, though, is be careful if you're going to take it off and store it and use it as rainwater. I have seen people put in big 1,000-gallon tanks next to their foundation. They pump it out of there, or they catch the rainwater coming out of the the gutter system and going into that, and now you've got a a crack or a bowed wall in the foundation because you've put, you know, thousands of pounds right next to the foundation, which it wasn't designed to, and now you're putting extra load, and that foundation was not designed for that load. And now you've got a point load there that's actually going to break the foundation. So you got to be very careful with that. But really, controlling that water down there is great. That's one of the things that I always say that concerns me, that always makes me nervous, is buying a house that has a brand new basement renovation because you just don't know what you're getting into. I have walked away from homes that I wanted to buy because they had a brand new renovated basement. And I went, you know, this could be poorly done. This could be badly done. And I have no idea what the damage is down there. And um, there's a lot of things that can go bad with that. And uh, the same thing is, you know, with a, a crawl space. If you have the same, you might have to put in um, a drainage system in the crawl space. That can be a really big pain because you're down on your hands and knees doing it. But it's a similar thing. Making sure you got the gutters taken care of and then putting in that below grade system with a sump pump to get that out of there and uh, control on it. And uh, you can't just put a vapor barrier down because all it'll do is float the vapor barrier up. You need to control the water down underneath that. And everything that's in that basement, as far as moistures and crawl space, ends up in your house. More questions just as soon as Around the House returns. And Satchel from Steel Panther, and you are listening to Around the House with Eric G. Yeah. We love Eric G, and you should too. Welcome back to the Around the House show. This is where we get you the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today I've been tackling a bunch of questions that have come in, uh, either off the radio show, the TV show, or podcast, and I wanted to see if we could get a lot of them tackled today. And I tell you what, there's been a few of them out there that have been interesting. This latest one here is people, uh, we talked about painting tips in hour number one outside, but I wanted to give a little take here on painting vinyl siding. And this one came up here a week or so ago, and I'll be honest, vinyl siding is a great budget project product. It's it's great for a project like that. It is not my favorite material out there for number one reason. One, after a while, many times, especially the older stuff, it gets chalky and not looking great. And two, any kind of a fire or heat uh, tends to warp it because it is vinyl, so it moves around a lot. Now, I am fully aware that there are people out there and companies that make 
paint that is made for vinyl siding. But here's what the issue is. And there's a handful of them. By the time that you buy the paint, you're partially into the cost of replacing the vinyl siding. And two, when you paint vinyl siding, it's usually when it's warm, right? So it's nice outside. Well, vinyl siding expands and contracts, and whether there's a seam, there's an overlap there. So when it's hot, it's expanded. When you go paint it in the wintertime, many times, when that shrinks up, you're going to see the color pop in around the trim or in the seams because now it's exposing those areas. And many times when it's that cold, it's too cold to paint it. So you're kind of stuck with weird stripes in places. And then the biggest one is that if you've got a white vinyl siding, you're know, like, I want a dark, rich color. I can't tell you even using the right paint because the paint doesn't affect the color makeup of the base product, which is the vinyl. They use different plastics depending on the color. And a white vinyl siding reflects heat, so it's not going to get as hot as a dark vinyl siding. So many times if you take a, a white vinyl siding and paint it a dark brown or a gray on a 100-degree day, that could be limply falling off the side of your house. And it looks like you had a fire and it melted it. So these are really keys when dealing with vinyl siding like that, that I'll be honest, you're better off not painting it. It's going to look like painted vinyl siding. I would just replace it. And if you want to put up new vinyl siding, knock it out. If you want to put up hardy plank or do something else, do it. But I would just let vinyl siding be, get some good cleaners, keep it looking fresh, and embrace the color you have. Now, like anything, make sure that uh, when you're dealing with colors, that if you have an HOA or something like that, that homeowners association or condo or whatever, make sure that you're having a discussion with them on your color and making sure that they don't tell you you have four colors to paint your house i've seen more houses have to get painted again with that simple simple mistake you know if you watched last week's tv segment you'll see that i was talking with uh puji from miller paint here in the pacific northwest and we were talking about uh, the color of my house that i painted which is pretty much a black and the color from miller is opal of lorraine you get the idea now, one thing I do want to say about that, a little inside story. I love the color of my house. I would not ever paint it a different color. But I will say that any place that you have soil or landscaping next to it, any of that water splash up from rain, because it's contemporary, I don't have big eaves, that you have a lot of cleaning to do to your house. So it does show dirt like that. So I do have to go through and keep it clean a lot more because it is black. It does show dirt. And that's okay, because like a black car, we all know what that does. But just one thing to consider when you're painting the outside of your house, that a true black does show dirt more so than maybe some of the grays and everything else. That dirt is still there, but with a light-colored dirt, uh, you will see more of that. So that brown shows up on black really well. Or if it was gray or brown, you might not see it. It's still there, but you're going to see it. So that's a key for that. Just think about the colors that you do. And uh, my landscaping stuff I do this year will, you know, address that issue. It's not really an issue. I knew that that was going to happen, but it will make it a little bit easier. And as I do some remodeling and stuff and some roofing, I'll probably create a little bit more of an even certain places to uh, protect the side of the house just a little bit more. All right. Well, that's enough about that subject. And the next one I had was about painting or touching up kitchen cabinetry. 
Now, here's a common thing with kitchen cabinetry, especially if you bought painted cabinets and you an installer that maybe didn't do you a favor. Maybe you put it in yourself and just didn't know this trick. Many times with lazy Susan cabinets, that corner, when you open up a square corner lazy Susan, it's hinged in the middle of that right angle door. The problem is, is if the installer did not countersink the screws on the inside of the door, when you open it up and you're kind of lazy about opening up, you drag that screw face across the drawer front or the door front, depending on where your handle is, next to it. So what happens is that puts a gouge in there. And if you've got, you know, white painted cabinetry or color, it really shows that through that space. So the first thing is, is always countersink the screws on those corner cabinets. So the hardware screws will go through and sink flush. And so it doesn't scratch up. Second, do not. And I say do not go to the home center and have them try to match up some paint color to the paint color home center. If you bought cabinets that are name brand cabinets out there that are made in manufacturing, you are not going to go into a Home Depot or Lowe's paint store in their paint department and get the right finish. Here's why. Even painted cabinetry coming from those places, coming from one of the major cabinet manufacturers, that is a conversion varnish, or if they're a low quality one, it's lacquer. So the problem is, is those finishes will have a completely different layout and sheen than if you go get an enamel from your home improvement store. So you might get the most perfect color match known to mankind. It is dialed in perfect. And the problem is, is that when you go to do that and it's dry, the sheen will be different. So that door will be less glossy, more glossy. You will not get the sheen right because they're just two different paints and they're not going to lay out the same way and it's not going to look the same way, even if you got the color correct. So if you've got a major brand, you know, maybe Craftmade, American Woodmark, you know, any one of the major brands out there, contact them and get the color that you have and either order a new door or drawer front or whatever it takes and then replace it. Is it a little bit more money? Yes. Is it a bolt-on option? Absolutely. Will you have the same durability and probably a 100% color match? Absolutely. And so then it's going to look like you got that taken care of correctly. You will not go down to a paint store. You will have to paint the entire kitchen to get that to match going down to your local paint store. It's just not going to work that way. And you're just taking two different products and trying to make a match, and it's just not going to work. So uh, contact your cabinet manufacturer. They will have the paint color. Uh, If it's a local custom shop, take it back to them, have them respray it, and you'll have a much better-looking kitchen. The touch-ups are going to look like bad touch-ups, or it's going to look like you did a poor job painting. Even you tried really hard doing it, it's going to look bad. So many more tips just as soon as Around the House returns. This is Ron Keel, the Metal Cowboy from Keel, the Ron Keel Band and Steeler. We are rocking around the house with Eric G. Raise your fist, make your stand. Welcome back to the Around the House Show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. 
We've been asking, well, I've been answering all your different questions here that I've gotten over the last few weeks, and I wanted to jump in and get those answered to you. But if you want to find some of the video stuff I've been creating for my weekly television show, head over to uh, YouTube, and that's simple, just at Fox 12 Oregon. Go to Playlists. Look for Around the House Northwest, and you will see the 50 videos that I have hiding over there, plus whatever goes up today. So we've got plenty of videos over there with a lot of new different projects and things for you to take a look at, and some really cool how-to stuff, including some great experts. So i uh, got a jam-packed full of stuff over there. Well, today I wanted to talk about, it is another question that came in, about how to deal with those little tiny black sugar ants. Because it is ant season for many places in the U.S. And there are a lot of different kind of ants. I'm just going to talk about the little sugar ants, the ones that are just pests as far as coming in and getting into things or getting into somebody's spilled soda or pop or whatever you want to call it, depending on where you're at in the country. There's an easy way to take care of this stuff. And this, once a year, I get them popping in because I live near the forest. So it, it happens. What I do is I get a product called Tero, T-E-R-R-O. It is their ant killer. Now, there's ways to do this. And here's not a bad one, especially if you've got fire ants and things like that. There is a new Tero that's been out for a few years, I believe. It is the Tero Ant Killer plus multi-purpose insect control. And so this is actually a shaker bag that you can walk around the outside and that shaker spreads it around the outside and you can make a perimeter around your house. So it'll kill the ants, fire ants, cockroaches, fleas, and other insects on there. So that works pretty good. So that's just got a bunch of different things on it. But that tarot, when it comes down to dealing with black sugar ants, put the traps out. You can buy, I always have a box of them here at the house. So when I get it, I'll set a couple up and guess what? In a matter of days, it will take those things down. And if I can take down a sugar ant colony that's attacking inside my house, that is great. And a couple days, they're gone, and uh, the stuff is just like, it's just easy. And I've never had it not work, so something to take a look at. Taro, it works really good and uh, pretty non-toxic as well because it's basically borax is what that is that's in there. And so, uh, you know, pretty good as far as that goes. So there's my little tips on dealing with sugar ants. Set the traps, keep them away from the kids and the pets. But um, that usually works pretty well. Well, I wanted to talk about, I had another question come in, and uh, it's actually a friend of mine, and I'll just leave it at that because they didn't want to have their name on air. But they were trying to figure out, they want to buy a new toilet because they're doing a remodel, and they didn't know what to go out and buy. And I said, you know, I'm going to cover that in this episode here, and we'll make sure that we cover it because I wanted to give a short toilet buyer's guide. And here's my take with toilets. It's really simple. You get what you pay for. I will not go down and buy the Home Center brand because many times those are just the funky imports. They're low quality. You'll have a hard time finding parts or they have special parts inside that you can't get. And they're meant really as throwaway toilets. I'm not a fan. And for any serious toilet, to be honest, I don't typically buy them at the home improvement store. I will go to my plumbing specialty retailer. Now, if you want just a good workhorse toilet that's not going to clog up, that's going to keep itself clean, I will always go look at the Toto Drake. That is the way to go. And there's Drake 2. There's a bunch of different ones out there. There's ones that are taller, ones that are standard. 
Find the toilet that fits your needs. But that's the cool part. And you can get a toilet like that. Toto, if you don't know about them, they are one of the best toilet brands out there. Now, I will say respectfully that they were such a leader over the last 15 years. The other toilet brands weren't close. And I I think that what you've seen over the last number of years, like three or four or five years, these other companies have decided, oh, wow, Toto's been doing such a great job. Maybe we should see what they're doing and pay attention. And now they've started changing how their toilets work to get a better toilet. But really, you're going to spend over $300 to get a decent quality toilet. You are. Now, if you can't afford that and you got to put something in to make it work, great. But it will cost you more. Part of a great working toilet is that you flush it once and it gets the job done. Because if you're using, let's say, 1.2 gallons, if you're using 1.2 gallons per flush and you got to flush it twice because it's not working, you've now doubled your water bill from that appliance, which is the toilet. So you really want to have something that's going to handle it one flush and is going to have a good enough finish on it that things don't um, stick to it, shall we say. And that's one of the problems with toilets out there is that if you have a rough surface on that toilet, things tend to stick to it. If it's super slippery, like what Toto does with their specialty finishes, then it stays a lot cleaner. And that is why one of the things that I always tell people, do not use bleach or abrasive cleaners inside a toilet unless you want to ruin the finish. Because those nano particles, basically, they use a lot of these companies like Toto put a, a nano finish basically on the inside that covers up all those little tiny fissures and pores. So it's even slicker. Well, if you go pour like bleach down it to to uh, deodorize it and clean it, or if you take a magic eraser or pumice stick, guess what? You're now sanding that finish off, creating micro scratches. They're going to turn around, and more importantly, that's going to cause a bunch of damage to the inside of the bowl. Man, you might not see it. It might look a little less glossy, but the problem is, is you've left a place now for dirt to grab a hold of, and that makes a big difference. Many of these toilets now are designed to be almost self-cleaning, especially the ones from Toto. Toto. So anytime you go in and start using an abrasive surface cleaner on it, you're now making it more likely to be dirty and harder to clean. So do not use bleach. Do not grab the jug of bleach and pour it down inside the toilet because you're going to cause some serious damage. And quite frankly, don't be using bleach on anything unless you're going to be trying to sanitize something and then follow the instructions where you mix it with water. But do not pour bleach in a bathtub. Do not pour bleach in a, in a toilet. It has no business going in there. All you're going to do is etch surfaces and make it worse. And that's going to be a problem. So one other thing, too, that I would look at, and it's something if you're doing a bathroom model on, the, on a side note of toilets, and I think this is super important, always spend the time and add that outlet right next to it. That way, if you want to have a bidet toilet seat down the road, you have the option. I would add that outlet. You'll be good to go. There's Even if you don't use the bidet function, just the heated seat is something in the wintertime that is very pleasant. And uh, if you ever run out of toilet paper, it's giving you options. But uh, I would sure take a look at adding power down there when you're doing remodel. That is one of those places that I would put. And uh, even resale value down the road, that is going to be a hot item. So I would not be afraid to put that outlet down there. Typically, code says that needs to be a GFCI. Make sure you got that dialed in and you'll be much better off. In that way, if you want to add that bidet toilet seat, 
you're killer. You're ready to go. Or even that whole bidet toilet, you're set. So that's another one of those keys right there. The old while you're at it, spend a few bucks and put an outlet down there. You'll be pleasantly surprised when you want to add one. That option's there for you. So to round up this buyer's guide, just think about what you want. Elongated toilets are a little bit nicer than round, but they are a little bit bigger, so they take up a little more space in the bathroom, as well as take a look at comfort height stuff. I like the taller toilet height. It's always great for your knees. And uh, even if you got little kids or only little kids for just a few years, I would get something a little bit taller. It uh, seems to be more comfortable when using the toilet, and uh, that's a big one right there. And uh, follow building code when you do it. Make sure you get, there's some new wax rings that work really well out there. When you replace it, it can be a great DIY project if you take the time and do it right. If, uh, you know, if you've got broken pipes and things like that or rotted out, you know, drain lines, that might be the place to bring the plumber in. But uh, swapping out a toilet is an easy DIY fix for most people. All right, when we come back, we're going to wrap this one up. I got a couple more questions just as soon as Around the House returns. Welcome back to Around the House Show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us. Well, I've been answering all your questions, people that have been sending stuff in to me and uh, wanted to see if we could help some of you out with some of the questions they had. Now, I had a guy named Curtis email us in. Thanks for tuning in, Curtis. Really appreciate it. He had a problem with Nutra and beavers eating the skip laurel hedge and cottonwood trees. How do I get them to go away? Now, of course, we could go with the uh, environmentally, you know, least sensitive way and, and, and bring in people to trap and move them. But that doesn't always happen. And that can also be tough. So really having those animals move down and look for maybe the neighbor's place down the road or someplace else is going to be a better option. And so one of the best ways, especially with beavers, is to get a paint match of the bark of the tree. And here's what I'm saying. Get a paint match of that. And then what you do is you mix sand with the paint and paint around the base of the tree. Beavers don't like the sand texture and will most likely move on to the next one. So basically what you want to do is take a quarter paint and mix in eight ounces of fine sand and paint that around the tree, let it dry. Usually they'll start chunking at it and go, ooh, I hate this. This is not good. I don't like this and move on. So that's a good one. I'll be honest, other than putting up a fence, which um, isn't always a good option, but uh, man, I tell you what, that is going to be your best option with that. And I think that's pretty tough trying to get, you know, animals like that and, and taken care of. Now, the other option here is, and it's something to consider, right? It's something to consider when you're looking at these things. The beavers are natural there, right? But the Nutra is a rodent and it's considered a pest in the United States. It was brought in, I believe from Australia and it was brought in for fur. So 
the way to do it, though, is it's going to be hard because if you try to have a, con- a pest control company come in and humanely trap that, you might get a beaver in there, too. And I'm not talking about killing it, but moving it on. So um, that's going to be a tough one. When in doubt, always consult your local pest control company that deals with small animals like that. And uh, you might be better off that way. But that's going to be something that's going to help take it, you know, take you at least across the finish line and give you a fighting chance. Um, I would put a couple coats of paint on it. I know some people say, oh, it's not the most healthy for the tree. You're right. But uh, if the beaver comes in and cuts the tree down, that's going to be more unhealthy for the tree. And we want to find that, um, you know, want to find that that right answer for you there to be able to control it in a kind of more humane way to do it. Now, the next question actually came out on Around the House Nation, which is our closed group that I wanted to share this with everybody else. So if you're not a Facebook person, you're going to have a hard time getting it. But if you've got a Facebook, you know, um, you know, if you've got a Facebook account, then go check it out over there. We've got Around the House Nation asked to be part of the closed group and you'll be good to go. David had asked this question. It's worth bringing it up because people out there buy these vintage kitchen sinks that are Beautiful enameled porcelain, basically. So what it is, is they're a cast iron sink where they have heated up glass, or they've heated it up, sprinkled glass over it, and they fire it, and the glass turns into a porcelain finish on top, and it really gives you that uh, super durable. But after a while, it it, it gets chipped up and, and cleaned up. And so he had asked, uh, is there a way to do an off-the-shelf DIY kit and that stuff? And the answer is No. Um, I don't do those at all because literally that's just an epoxy paint and it'll buy you a couple years, but uh, I'll be honest, I'm not a fan. Now, there is a place that will take that vintage cast iron sink and do a heck of a job. And now these guys do not advertise with me. They have done some restoration work for my little brother and they aren't cheap. They're not paint, but it's done right. So... They are basically a porcelain enamel company based out of Independence, Missouri. And so it's ipe-porcelain.com. So it's ipe-porcelain.com. Independence Porcelain Enamel. They are that old school company that can take that old piece and actually restore it for you. So this is one of those things that if you want quality workmanship that is reliable, these guys do an amazing job. I have personally seen the work. It is stunning. And it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. If you're trying to restore an appliance, like an old 50s one, or restore, you know, grandma's sink or barbecue or whatever, and you want that porcelain done, Man, these are the way, this is the way to go. So ipe-porcelain.com. They've got the colors up there. They show pictures of some of the stuff they do. And uh, they basically go and fire this the old-fashioned way and do it the right way. So check them out. This is a um, heck of a place. And uh, I don't know of any other place out there. I'm sure there's some other people out there. But uh, it is uh, beautiful work and something you should take a peek at. If you're into old homes and restoration, this is where you're going to find 
really that uh, quality craftsmanship that's going to redo everything for you and get that sink looking like it's brand new. So uh, that to me is super, uh, super exciting when you can take a vintage big piece or a vintage stove or, uh, heck, even if you've got some of those vintage Duesenbergs, they uh, they will do the porcelain on the exhaust for you as well. So uh, they can do a ton of different stuff. And, uh, man, it is cool. It is cool. It is the place to go. So uh, just think about having some fun with that. And uh, I know people that have sent in, uh, I've seen the pictures at least off their Facebook page, but people had wanted to do a Weber kettle in the right design. And... Uh, they did it for them, and it looks like a million bucks. So something else to consider when restoring that old vintage piece of uh, steel or cast iron, if you want that looking good, that is the place to go. And, uh, man, I love little places like that that are just really that little secret hiding place in the country that can do that project for you. All right, the last one I have here is my little secret to dealing with my, uh, I'm just going to use the word shop vac or my shop vacuum. I don't know if you've done this yet. I know plenty of you have, but I have one of the rigid shop vac, you know, wet dry vacs. I tell you what, if you want to make your life a little bit easier and save money on those expensive filters, I would put in one of the bag systems on it. I tell you what, when you're dealing with things like sheetrock dust and all of that stuff, that bag is a world of difference. And what I like about it, too, is it keeps the air clean as well because you've just got that other layer of protection of that dust. And so with me, my shop vac gets use in a lot of different ways. I am vacuuming up stuff in the garage from a, a wood project to hooking up to my to my uh, you know chop saw or sander or anything else. And uh, that bag system in that is really good. I've got a new... Vacuum coming on its way from Bosch that I can't wait to use. It's going to be hooking up into my new tools. Uh, that one I'm excited about. But that shop vac, I tell you what, those bags are the easy button. And when you pop it out and throw it away, the inside is 99% clean. And uh, that makes a big deal. And that HEPA filter that I have in it, it's not spreading so much dirt around on the inside. And so that's really cool. And I really appreciate how that works. So uh, another little tip and trick from me is to uh, take a look at those shop vac or those uh, canister bags that go in your garage shop vac. It is a game changer in how that goes. All right, everybody. Well, a couple of things I want to touch before we go out to break here. I was going to give one more tip. We'll save that for another one. But here's the thing. If you want to track us down, I'm going to give you all the little places to do that. Make sure you join Around the House Nation. Head over to uh, our social media. I have a couple different Facebook pages, just so you know. I have Around the House Show, which has our logo on it. And then take a look at the TV show page, which is Around the House NW. It's got my face on it, hosted by Eric Gornson. And then, of course, check us out on Twitter or AroundTheHouseOnline.com. If you have questions and, you know, it's not one of these here, there's two ways to do it. You can head over uh, and send me a video, and uh, I might put you on the TV show. And you can do that over uh, at the, uh, send it over to me on Facebook. Just send it over on Facebook Messenger to us, and uh, we'll get it up on the show that way. Or you can send it over to uh, my page over at the TV station. But I'd love to be able to help you on one of your projects. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next weekend. Thanks for listening to Around the House.
love song Let's be lovers We're all over the radio Take my hand I know where to go All over the radio With you Hey, it's Eric G. from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand-molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.